For those of you who have not yet met, my name is Josh. I serve as the lead pastor here at Icon. Uh, I'd love to meet you afterward if you're new. I, I love meeting new people who come and love to help you get connected here. Today's scripture reading comes from Jeremiah 29. No, not that verse. Everyone knows. We'll get there. Verse 1. These are the words of the letter that Jeremiah the prophet sent from Jerusalem to the surviving elders of the exiles, and to the priests, the prophets, and all the people who Nebuchadnezzar had taken into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. This was after King Jeconiah and the queen mother, the eunuchs, the officials of Judah and Jerusalem, the craftsmen and the metal workers had departed from Jerusalem. The letter was sent by the hand of Elisah, and the son of Shaphan, and Gemariah, the son of Hilkiah. Son, whom Zedekiah, king of Judah, sent to Babylon to Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. It said, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, To all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon, build houses and live in them, plant gardens and eat their produce, take wives and have sons and daughters, take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage, that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease. But seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile, and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare you will find your welfare. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Do not let your prophets and your diviners who are among you deceive you. Do not listen to the dreams that they bring, for it is a lie that they are prophesying to you in my name. I did not send them, declares the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. That's right. Father, I thank you that over the last nine weeks we've gotten to, to revisit some of what you call us to be as your church. None of this is new. None of this is novel. It is incredibly old. You, you have given us certain values for us to, to emphasize as a church. You communicated to us certain virtues that we, to, we need to embody in specific areas for our city. And, and as we close out today, this, this sermon series, I ask that you would give us a vision for our time here in Seattle that is bigger than resumes, that is bigger than buying houses, all of these things that aren't bad, but in the end are a really poor foundation to build our time among here in Seattle. So would you give us a vision for why you have us here? Even answering the question of this series, why us, why here? Would you show us a vision of your sovereign plan over our lives and show us what our purpose is for us specifically while we're here? So give us, give us that vision. God, would you unite your power with my weak words and cause fruit in us as a church? In Jesus' name, amen. I want to ask this question. If, if Jesus were to appear to you, how do you think he'd introduce himself? Like if, if later today you were you were sitting down watching the Hawks game that we're probably going to win because Kyler Murray's still out, praise God. If you're sitting down watching that and Jesus all of a sudden interrupts you at halftime, of course, because he's courteous, comes to you and appears to you, how do you think he would introduce himself? Would, would he highlight maybe the fact that he's the, the chosen ruler of God's kingdom? He would maybe highlight his right to rule and command and the necessity of following his reign. Or maybe he would, he would start off noting that, that he is the one who has conquered death. Jesus, the, the, the great cosmic victory over our greatest problem in death.
death. He would, he, he would give comfort to you as the one who sovereignly reigns over our greatest problems and is the one who sees you in all of life. And he would comfort that in you. How would you think he would introduce himself? Probably with that type of lofty idea, right? Some lofty title of king of the universe, conqueror of death. Well, there's a moment in the New Testament where Jesus introduces himself. Saul, who, who eventually later becomes Paul, is on the road to Damascus, and many of us know this story, but uh, he's on the road to Damascus, and at that time is doing all he can to persecute the church, and Jesus interrupts his plans and appears to him in order to, to redirect this man's life and give him the assignment that Paul is eventually going to carry out. And, and Paul himself describes this event in Acts 22, and I want you to listen to it. It says this, As I, Paul, was on my way and drew near to Damascus, about noon a great light suddenly shone around me, and I fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And I answered, Who are you, Lord? And he said to me, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. Did you catch that? Paul says here that there's this great and powerful light that shines around him that's so strong, it knocks him off his horse and he's there laying on the ground face down. And, and a voice speaks out to him, no doubt thunderous and intimidating, about, uh, about Saul actually persecuting him. And whenever Saul asks, who are you, Lord? Who, who are you who's coming to me in this, this great light? Jesus says, I am Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus, the risen king who has defeated death and holds all cosmic power in his hands, the linchpin of God's purposes in the world, includes in his introduction his hometown. And not, not just any hometown, but Nazareth. The, the flyover village of Nazareth. Holy, unimpressive, a dank, dinky village made for those who exist on the fringe of society. Though Jesus is ascended to the throne at God's right hand, he still associates himself with the locale in which he grew up. Even Jesus, post-resurrection, had the story of the locale in his heart and who he was. Locale matters to Jesus and to Christians. To the Christian, the, the cities we live in and inhabit are not, they are not happenstance, they are not random, they are not arbitrary. Whether you recognize it or not, your address really matters to your Christian faith. It's actually a very core piece of it. Your discipleship to Jesus is fleshed out in real life in a local city. I don't know if you recognize that. Your address matters to your Christian faith. But, but we have technology today that, that makes it seem as though the local has, has lost its flavor, right? We never think of ourselves really as local citizens. We think of ourselves as maybe national citizens, or we think of in all these other categories, but we forget this category that your real life is lived in a local place. Local has, has lost its flavor. There are certainly some, some movements that tell us, especially in this holiday season, to shop small, right? Shop, shop local. Remember the, the small businesses in your local community. But, but the truth is also this. 
that you have a computer in your pocket right now that can take you to places you might rather be. <laughs> we can hop on Instagram and, and give full vent to our wanderlust. Wanderlust is such a, a cardinal virtue for my generation. And in that same pocket computer, we can book flights and hotels that take us out of our local environment, which is fine, but, but the constant availability of escape can also degrade our sense of place, our sense of local. We live in a world that makes it hard to stay in one place, to, to really love our, our local. And this week, as we end our series on, on why that's right here, Throughout this series, we've explored the, the type of church that God wants us to be. We've seen values that we need to be immovable in. We've seen virtues that apply to specific topics in Seattle. And today, we end our series with this topic, Seattle and transients. A sermon on transients is really the only way I, I know to end a series like this. Because what's the point of anything that we've talked about in the last nine weeks if we don't have a sense of, of permanence in our lives here in Seattle? How, how can we truly demonstrate some of those virtues that we talked about if we never are here long enough for our neighbors to actually see them? How, how can we be a church that, that values something like being renewed as community when we never really have enough time with one another to build trust for some of our deepest confessions. If we are a transient church, none of those values and none of those virtues are ever going to stay in the place they need to. Seattle is a transient city, but we cannot, we need to avoid that however we can. And I recognize that Seattle is an easy place to leave and it's a hard place to live. And the pastoring a church in Seattle, it, it feels like I'm running the risk of, of hugging a parade, right? <laughs> like that's kind of that's how I feel like my job title would be in a transient city like this. Is I hey, I know you're I, there's a parade of people coming. I only have you for a little bit, so I'm gonna love you, I'm gonna hug you as much as I can, but I know you're on to the next thing, so I'm just gonna love you all I can. I'll do that if I have to, but I don't want to hug a parade. <laughs> I don't want to in, invest so much in people who will just leave. My desire for Icon Church is to have a sense of, of permanence, even longevity with the people here. But in order for us to have longevity here, we need to talk about this issue of transience and talk specifically about it with Christians. Specifically about why Christians have a hard time really lasting here in Seattle. Of course, there's all kinds of people who come in and come out of our city, but maybe it's just because of the crowd, man, even though I know unbelievers. But I hear so many Christians that are just escaping out of Idaho, heading out there where it's, where it's safe. Christians, Christians don't last in Seattle. And, and for two reasons, I think. We're going to get to the text. Don't worry. Hold on. I'm just I'm building my case. <laughs> two reasons why Christians don't stay, stay in Seattle. First, the motivation of why you came. If you are a transplant to Seattle, you probably came because you, you got a good job, right? You came to Seattle not because it was on your list, but because you, you want that job on your resume, and, and that's okay. 
But, but you, you come to Seattle, in, in reality, if you're not watching and paying attention to this, you come to Seattle for the same reasons any non-believer would come to Seattle. And if that reason for being here is left unexamined, of just trying to build a resume, you will also leave Seattle for the same reason any non-believer will. Maybe because you, you got enough time at that job to build up your resume, so now that you can move out to a suburb that will provide more serenity than a big city. Or maybe because you came to Seattle with the main motivation of building your own life, you leave because it no longer offers you the ability to, to build your life through things like owning a home. And the second reason I think Christians leave Seattle is because you feel so out of place here. Do you feel normal in this city? Your Christian convictions are heresy to the secular religion of our city. That's true. And then maybe you want to protect your children from, from growing up in an environment that is so antithetical to the Christian faith. So you can join the, again, the mass Christian exodus to Idaho where you'll feel more safe with, with like-minded people and not feel so pressured or intimidated. Christians leave because they are intimidated by the idolatry of our city. And both of those reasons are, they are understandable. I, I, I get them. But not necessarily the, the best ways for us to be thinking about whether we should stay or whether we should leave this city. The, the, the main problem with those two reasons is that they, they are not the foundation on which we should build our choice as Christians. Personal advancement or comfort that comes from being surrounded by the family values of Idaho are not good enough reasons to leave Seattle, not, not for the Christian at least. By the way, if you're from Idaho, maybe you're visiting today, I love you. Just stop taking our people. For the Christian, we have a much deeper sense of purpose in where we live and why we stay there. And it's that foundation I want to talk about today. So let's look at this text in Jeremiah and see what type of foundation we should have as Christians as, as we think about the places we either leave or we send. Okay, so let's jump into Jeremiah. Let's, let's get some context for these verses. Uh, Jeremiah is, is one of those prophets in the Old Testament who had just the worst job description. He was sent by God to, to warn the Israelites of God's impending judgment for their sin. He was a voice crying aloud in the wilderness of, of Israel's idolatry, warning them from God that if they did not turn back to Yahweh and reestablish their covenantal commitment to Him, God would give them over to the powerhouse nation of that day called Babylon. And at this point in the book, in Jeremiah 29, that's already happened. Judgment has already come. The Israelites did, did not listen to Jeremiah's warnings, and, and now they find themselves in exile from their homeland. Israel had been ransacked. Everything they held and saw as, as precious to their heritage and to their nation is, is now taken over by a foreign power. So they're out of place, they're separated from their homeland, and they're under the occupation of a ruler who is, by all standards, self-obsessed and evil. And yet, Jeremiah shows that God's not done with these Israelites. 
The book of Jeremiah doesn't stop when the Israelites go into exile. God, God keeps speaking to them and offering them promises of, of comfort and restoration because of His grace. And one of the things that He speaks to these Israelites in their exile is in this passage in Jeremiah 29, which boils down to this. This is, a, this is the one sentence description I would give of the passage we just read. Don't try to escape where I've sent you. Don't try to escape where I have sent you. In this Jeremiah 29 passage, God tells them to actually settle into their new life in exile. To actually settle in. He tells them to, to build houses, right? To marry and to, to have kids, plant gardens and eat from them. In other words, while you're in exile, build a sense of longevity. Gardens and homes and families, they, they take a long time to build, right? And to actually cultivate. And God tells them, go ahead and settle in because their time in Babylon is going to be long. And that's actually where, if you read later in the passage in Jeremiah 29, some of the false prophets that he talks about there, the, what they were saying in their false prophecy was like, hey, God's going to come get us soon. We're, we're, this exile is actually going to be really, really short, so we don't really have to worry about investing our life in Babylon. And God here, through Jeremiah, says, I've not sent them. You're going to be there a while. Settle down and settle in. That's what he tells these Israelites in exile. But, but why does he tell them to, to settle in? Is it only because of, of punishment? Does God, God tell them to build a life in Babylon because he, he's left them so they might as well accept it? No. He tells them to settle in and create longevity, even in exile, because of one thing. And it's a linchpin for this passage. His sovereignty. His sovereignty is the reason these Israelites should feel safe to go ahead and settle into their exile. Now notice at the beginning of the passage, very verse 4. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Their personal sin and their idolatry is the reason God sent them into exile. But God's personal sovereign action is what actually got them into Babylon. God identifies himself as the cause of their time in Babylon. And this is something that the Israelites actually need to hear. It would be easy for them to simply rationalize their exile, right? As just a, a, the fate of events. In comparison with Babylon, they're a pretty weak nation. And in the world of, of conquest and domination, it makes sense that Babylon would come and conquer us. We're here simply because there's a nation that was stronger. God says, no, it's not just because Babylon is stronger that you are now in exile. I have sent you there. It is not the strength of the Babylonian Empire for the reason of their exile, but God's sovereignty. God's sovereignty has sent them into exile. And this is important for them to realize and accept, because strangely enough, it, it actually gives them hope. Yes, God's sovereignty is a reason for, for why, why they are in exile in response to their sin, but God's sovereignty is also the hope of their eventual freedom. 
Right after these verses comes that famous verse that I joked about. Jeremiah 29, 11. For I know the plans I have for you to, to, to prosper you, to, to for, for your own good. God's sovereignty brought them into exile as a consequence of their sin. And God's sovereignty is what will bring them home because of his grace. On that foundation of his sovereignty, God builds his case for what they should do in the meantime. Settle in, build a life, and seek the welfare of where you are. That's these verses in Jeremiah. These Israelites know that they are in exile because they have walked away from God because of their own personal idolatry and sin. But they also know that, that God has sovereignly put them in their place in exile and will sovereignly take them out. And with a hope like that, they can calm down. They can settle down. They don't have to worry about trying to escape their exile. They can trust in the sovereignty of God even while they're in a place that they don't love. Now, what does that have to do with us here in Seattle? Quite a bit, actually. First, it should tell you as a Christian that your time here in Seattle, where you live, is not arbitrary, is not happenstance. Rather, where we live is under the rule of God's sovereignty. You are not in Seattle because you killed it in that job interview, though you did. You are not in Seattle because you like mountains and you're the outdoorsy type. Rather, you are in Seattle because God's sovereign hand has gotten you here. You probably don't realize that, but that's what's happened. Listen to how the, the Apostle Paul connects the sovereignty of God with where we live in Acts 17, 26. Listen in. He says, God made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place. God's sovereignty, this massive topic that he's running and ruling the world, it's actually incredibly personal. God in his sovereign choice has actually determined where you live, and then even in that text in Acts, when you live. Which means this. Accept this in your heart and believe this. Your time in Seattle, at this time, God wants you here. God has decided to bring you into this city at this cultural moment. And that, that changes everything if you really receive that and accept that. If in God's sovereign purpose for your life, where he has allotted your place in your time, he's landed you here in Seattle, that should give us a sense of purpose here. For a purpose that's, again, bigger than your resume. Bigger than just the reality of wanting to, to buy a house or be in a place of mountains. If God in his sovereignty is the one that's got you here at this moment, that might mean that he has something for you here. That he has something he wants you to do. There's, there's peace in knowing 
that God determines where and when we live. To have rest in that, to not despise where we are because God has chosen it. Indeed, that's what God commands those Israelites. Don't despise your exile, but recognize that I've placed you here on purpose. God has placed you here in Seattle on purpose. And you are here at this time on purpose. And that question of timing, I think, is just as important for, for the question of where, right? The question of when is just as important as the question of where. God wants you here in Seattle for this cultural moment. Does anyone else get caught up in that temptation to wish that, man, you just watch things and you're like, I was born in the wrong generation, you know? Especially in Christmas time, oh my gosh. I'm one of those, I'm one of the good people that start watching Christmas movies on November 1st, like you're supposed to. And, man, I don't have a lot of fans here. Thanks a lot. Everyone else is Scrooges. Um, I, I, I start watching Christmas movies and listening to Christmas music on November 1st. And, man, every time I watch Home Alone or Christmas Vacation, I'm like, it's just a simpler time. <laughs> I, I wish I could live in a, I wish my adult life would have happened in the 90s, you know? It just seemed like so much of a simpler time. Or in the, in the late 80s, it, it feels so much better. There's almost this sense of jealous nostalgia for a time I did not get to experience. But, but that type of thinking goes against that truth of a sovereign God. If God is sovereign and has determined both your place and your time, that means you were made for this moment in this city. Don't look at Seattle and think you're out of place. Don't feel out of place. You are perfectly in place. God has determined for you to be here at this moment in history. The purpose God has for your life is directly tied to here and now, to the purpose that he has for you. And, and that word purpose is especially important for this conversation. God didn't assign places and time periods for us randomly and without purpose. Instead, he has an agenda. He has a purpose for, for where we are and when we are. Think back to that, that, that text in Jeremiah. They are there in exile because of God's sovereignty. And God notes really two main purposes for their exile. First, in this text, he highlights the desire for the welfare of Babylon and as an extension, their own welfare. And then also, all throughout the rest of the book of Jeremiah, he highlights the good that he wants to do in these Israelites through their exile. In other words, God, God has sovereignly placed them in exile in order to do good in Babylon through them and do good in them through Babylon. God wants them to invest in the welfare of their place. He wants them to do good to, to even such an evil empire like Babylon through the generous and intentional investment of his people. God is, that's one of the purposes of his sovereignty. But then also, God wants their exile in Babylon to be a refining work for his people. Not only will they be a source of good in Babylon, but their exile in Babylon is actually what they'll need in order to weed out some of the idolatry in their own heart and refine them. 
in God's sovereignty, they are good for Babylon, and Babylon is good for them. Do you think it's Seattle that way? God is sovereign, yes. But his sovereignty is purposeful. He has a purpose through you for Seattle, and he has a purpose for you through Seattle. You are good for Seattle because in obedience you want to invest for its welfare. And Seattle is good for you and God's purpose because it will weed out the idols of comfort. And it will wake you up from the illusion of personal advancement as a reason for your existence. Whatever sort of rub you have with Seattle, maybe why you don't enjoy your time here, maybe God's trying to show you something about your heart. Maybe Seattle is actually really good for you, but maybe not in the ways that you would wish. It's good for you because it refines you as a Christian. It helps you weed out idolatry in your heart. And so from these verses in Jeremiah and other parts of the book, we see two foundations for our sense of, of place. God's sovereignty and God's purpose for us in his sovereignty. And let me say this as I slowly lend the plan. When you talk about this idea of transience and staying in Seattle, if, if, if we should have in mind the reality of God's sovereign placement of you here and his purpose for you while you are here, let me say this. You should not leave Seattle or even think about leaving Seattle until you have addressed these two realities. Until you've asked these questions. Career advancement is a good thing, but it's not a good enough reason to leave Seattle. Maybe for the non-Christian, but not for the Christian. Living in a place where you can openly live out personal family values and understand, is an understandable desire, but it is not a good enough reason to leave Seattle. The ability to buy a home is a good ambition, but it is not a good enough reason to leave Seattle. To filter our decision, whether to stay or to leave, through those realities alone is to live as a functional atheist. It shocks me that we'll, we'll believe in this great God, but give him like 5% of our consideration when we think about where we should live and when we should stay or go. We should be filtering our decision through the reality of God's sovereignty and his sovereign purpose. We cannot just want to advance our career. Go do that. Go, go run to the top of the chain. I'm not saying you shouldn't, but that is not a good reason to run your entire life in sense of place. Again, that's living as a functional agent. It's, it's the way of living our lives that acts as though God is not actually there and God doesn't actually care. But friends, He does. He is there. And He does care. He cares enough to, to orchestrate interviews and college degrees that made it possible for you to get that job here in Seattle. And He cares enough to give you a purpose here in Seattle. So on this topic of transience in our city, we as Christians need to be 
asking ourselves better questions. Have I fulfilled God's purpose for me in Seattle? And has Seattle fulfilled God's purpose for me? Have you invested in the welfare of our city? Can you leave Seattle with a sense of having worked for its spiritual and material good? And has Seattle done the work in you that God wanted? Has Seattle made you a more resilient, more faithful, more dependent disciple of Jesus? Those are the questions we need to be asking ourselves. The answer to, to those questions is what should determine whether we reserve that new hall or not. Not whether, not just whether it's a good job fit. Not just whether it's a it's a it's a great thing that on the home. Hey, listen, I get it. I'm the father by I'm a pastor, you know. But that's not a good enough reason for us to, to, to determine where we should be. We should be asking ourselves, and have I completed God's purpose for me here in Seattle? And if not, then we should slow down before we go. We should slow down and, and maybe maybe stay. Friends, I'm not, I'm not going to compel you and try to grab you to stay in Seattle simply because I don't want to hug a parade. I don't want to do that, but I'm not going to compel you. The, the, New, the New Testament, Paul talks all the time about not having a ministry of compulsion. If you're bent on leaving Seattle, I won't air the tires out of you anymore, okay? <laughs> I won't do it. All I want is for you to consider this. Is God's purpose for you here completed or not? And if not, you are not free to leave. You, you are free in the sense that you can do it. Again, I'm not going to take the air out of your U-Haul. But you are not free in the sense that it would somehow be an act of obedience for you to leave. If, if we have, as Christians have not invested in the purpose God has for us in Seattle and the purpose that Seattle, Seattle has for our own hearts, we should really slow down instead. Have better reasons to move. <laughs> reasons that are bigger than your job resume. Reasons that, reasons that are bigger than everything else that our city thinks about. Our city, certainly, there's this, there's this swirl of transience. Can we be a witness of greater values to our city? To not just get caught in the, in the career advancement swirl and get slung out of the city simply because well, we've used it. We've used it enough to build a resume, and now we can move on to a better thing for us. That's not a great way to, to leave us in. My invitation for you today, and at the end of this sermon series, is to stay. That's literally the title of the whole, that's the question of the whole series. Why us? Why here? Why icon? Why, why, why should we be a place where Christians can flourish in their discipleship? And why should Seattle be a place where you should stay and invest for its spiritual and material good? Because God has a purpose for you in this city. And because God's purpose for Seattle, whether you believe this or not, 
is really wonderful. God's purpose for the city is wonderful. How do I know that? Because the gospel of Jesus Christ demands that I believe that. The good news that, that, that we can look out on a city that, that, that wants nothing to do with our Lord, that's fine. Jerusalem didn't either. They crucified him. But Jesus still came and still invaded and started this, revel this beautiful revolution of grace and love, remaking humanity. If he can do that, why should I look at our city and have anything but hope? Realistic hope, sure. We've talked about that in this whole series. But hope, wonderful hope, that's why you should say it, because Jesus has shown in his life, in his death, in his resurrection, that his power is not going to get shut down simply because some people don't want to hear about it. He is able to move forward his own mission. And I know that I have hope for my city because I know my own heart. And I know your heart. That no matter what Christian family you raised, you were raised in, the reason you're a Christian is because Jesus came to your heart and said, wake up. And it happened. You trusted in Jesus. You put your faith in him. So what makes me think that that can't happen to anyone else here in this city? Our invitation is to stay, not because Icon is the greatest, not because we're the solution to our city, but because we hold a precious announcement to our city. And by the Spirit of God, we proclaim that message for our city's good, which I believe will have wonderful fruit. The, the invitation is for you to join. Why that's why here? Our values, certainly, our virtues, certainly. But because Jesus is the point. Jesus is the one driving the mission forward of the gospel, even in this city. And my hope is that you'll see the purpose God has for you here and you'll join in on that great purpose. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that, that you have You've sovereignly placed each and every person, even in this service. I believe that because of that, there's some people here who need to, to hear the greater reasons for why we should think about staying in Seattle. Even today, you are sovereign. And I thank you for the sovereignty that, that you have exercised for icons good, even bringing such wonderful and gifted men and women who who love you, who are faithful to you, who want to invest in this church. Icon is the way it is, not because I'm its pastor, but because these are its people. It's wonderful, God, the way you have brought people here in order to invest in this church. And I ask, God, that by your grace, you would help us to, to have a greater vision for our time here in Seattle, to want to invest and the purpose that you have for us, and even want to, to see the purpose that you have in us from Seattle. The idols in our own heart that need to be put to death, that need to be even exposed. Pray that you give us a bigger vision of what you're doing in our life and what you're doing in this city. And that would compel us with hope. We trust you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you.
You're about to hear the post-sermon Q&A with Pastor Josh. Thanks for listening. Feel free to check out our Instagram during the week for questions that we didn't have time to answer in service. Question one. How do you know the difference between choosing to live in a hard place as a part of living out a missional life versus living in a way that isolates you in the idolatry of the city and makes you ineffective as a believer? How do you fight the martyr mentality to sacrifice yourself for your city? Yeah, that's a great question. I think that none of this is meant to promote a, a martyr mentality. Um, I think that it's, honestly, that's that's what I mean when I talk about the, the ministry of compulsion, like trying to get people to just stay, like just accept it and just do it. Um, that, that's why I, I don't want to do that. I want to invite you, but there's there's not a command in Scripture to, that you should never leave Seattle, okay? So the, the martyr mentality should not exist because martyrdom only happens when we are, should only happen when we are following a command, okay? When we, when we, are, we, we give up our life for clear commands. And so one of the things that I think you can do in order to avoid this is is to actually have a very close, a very conversational relationship with God. We talk about being spirit-empowered, that, that prayer precedes power. In order to avoid this martyrdom, martyr, martyr mentality, just continue to seek from God whether your time here is over or not. And that, that goes above and beyond like anything you, you might be feeling or even the loneliness that you talk about there. I think if you can really get from the Lord, whether you are released from this city, then I think it's easier for you to avoid that martyr mentality. That's what happened for me. Whenever I, I moved here uh, from a small little college town in Texas called Denton, Texas, there for 11 years, and the reason we left was yes, because God was calling us to Seattle, but even before that, my wife and I really just got a, a sense that, not in a consumeristic way, but that we had nothing more to offer Denton and didn't have nothing more to offer us. So we know our time is up. We didn't have to suffer inappropriately because we really felt together that, that our time is up. So that's I think that's how you avoid that martyr mentality is you keep close to God and try to hear when you maybe feel like you're released. Question two. For those who may desire community and roots here, how would you address discouragement when having when many around you end up leaving? Yeah, this is the this is the hugging up parade thing, and uh, I think that what you what you want to do is don't you have the temptation that whenever a new person comes into your life to automatically be guarded because you don't think they're going to stay. That's not going to be helpful. If the truth is is that certain people are going to come in and come out, you can't survive as a person or as a Christian when you're continually guarded because you're worried about losing them whenever they leave. My advice to you is to open your heart to them and get that hug before they leave. And that, that of course, that's going to be disappointing as they leave and they're going to be switching hugs with different people as they go down the parade of transients. But still, you should not, don't close your heart off simply because you know or maybe expect someone to leave, but rather let your heart be vulnerable, obviously with, with safe people, and then and trust some of that consistency and steadfastness of relationship with the Lord. And also, by the way, there's people here who want to stay. A lot of them actually. So let's let's find them and have a relationship together. We can have a really tight core. Okay? Alright, well we'll get to some of the other questions in our uh, Instagram this week, but for now, 
Let's take time for communion. This teaching was recorded as part of our current sermon series at Icon Church. During our weekly gatherings, we move from the teaching to a time of response. While we recognize it may be hard to capture that as you listen online, we encourage you to take a moment to reflect on and respond to what the Spirit might be telling you in response to what you've heard. For more resources and to find out how you can join with us in gathering on Sundays, visit iconchurch.org. And as we say each week, Christ is all and we are His.